Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Everything Pup podcast. I'm your host, Holly Montgomery. One of the most common questions we get asked in our pet food stores is, what do you think about pet insurance? And I'll be honest, I have a lot of feelings about pet insurance. In our household, we pay over $400 a month for pet insurance for our three large breed dogs. Now, that's Canadian, but it's still a lot of money. And it's almost a monthly occurrence that we get an email notifying us that one or more of the dog's premiums have gone up. So, is it worth it? Would we do things differently now if we could start fresh again? In today's episode, I'll be exploring the answers to those and many other questions about pet insurance. You're listening to the Everything Pup Podcast, the place for dedicated pup parents to find valuable dog-centric tips, interviews with trusted industry experts and your favorite dog brands, and everything else you need to become an informed advocate for your best friend. Now, here's your host, Holly Montgomery. Welcome back. I'd like to start off this episode by premising that my personal experiences with pet insurance are in the Canadian market. Things may work differently in other countries, but hopefully this episode can still provide you with lots of helpful information and value, even if you don't live in Canada. All right, let's get started. When deciding whether or not you'd like pet insurance, the first thing you should do is shop around and look at a number of different pet insurance providers. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, there are a lot of options out there. So what are some of the different ways you can research providers? One of the smartest things you could do when researching a pet insurance provider is to ask the folks that deal with them every day. Next time you're in your vet clinic, ask the gatekeepers at the reception desk who their clients like best. Ask them the common complaints they receive and who they'd pick if they had to choose insurance for their pets. I'm sure you'd get some honest feedback. I recently had Grizz in the clinic for his osteopathy appointment, and I asked the ladies while I was waiting who they liked best, and the answer took only a matter of seconds. I know you're likely curious what they said, so I'll share that with you at the end of the episode. Another easy thing you can do, and it's a bit of a no-brainer, is that you can check out the provider's Google reviews and see what kind of feedback people are giving. Keep in mind, people are more likely to leave bad reviews than good ones, so take them with a grain of salt, but if the numbers are really bad, it's probably worth noting. And you can also ask the provider some questions, and here are a list that you can start with. Do they offer direct billing? How long do reimbursements take? How do they reimburse you? Do they mail you a check, or is it direct deposit? What are the reimbursement rates? Do they cover 10%, 20%, 80%, or 90%? Are there age minimums or maximums? Are there restrictions on which vets you have to use? Are there enrollment or cancellation fees? Is there an annual coverage maximum? Is there a waiting period? Do they exclude certain breeds or hereditary and breed-specific conditions? Do they cover congenital issues? And those are conditions before birth, for example, a heart defect. If you'd like some help getting started with your research, I've compiled a handful of insurance providers in Canada and the USA in the show notes. Visit their FAQ sections and see if they answer any of the questions I just made note of. Now, whether you're comparing plans from a number of providers or 
within a particular provider, you're likely going to get really overwhelmed. Personally, I know what matters to me most because I've had experience as a pup parent before, but if you aren't sure, get a pen and paper and make a list of what matters most to you. For instance, for me, alternative treatments like acupuncture, herbs, homeopathics, and the like are what's most important to me, and those are the services I use the most, so they would need to be covered in some capacity. To help you get started with your priority list, I've put together a list of things you can look for in a plan. Does the plan cover preventative care options like wellness exams, dental, vaccinations, microchipping, deworming, flea and tick control, health screenings, or fecal tests? Does the plan cover standard care options like diagnostics, medications, prescription diets, surgeries? Does the plan cover alternative and natural options like acupuncture, behavioral modification, chiropractic treatment, homeopathy, herbal therapy, hydrotherapy, orthotics, physical therapy, prosthetic devices and carts, rehab therapy, veterinary supplements? Does the plan cover pet owner assistance services like advertising and rewards for lost pets, boarding fees if you're hospitalized, liability for third-party property damage, cremation or burial fees, vacation cancellation costs if your pet gets sick or injured. There was a point in time when I realized that Kingsley's insurance was a lot more expensive than the other dogs, and much to my husband's chagrin, a few years passed before I noticed. When I inquired about it, my provider told me that his deductible was a lot lower than the other two dogs. For some reason, when I signed him up, I made that error. So keep in mind, the lower the deductible you pay, the higher your premiums will be. I've since increased his deductible and lowered his monthly rate, so he's on par with my other two dogs now. So timing, when's the best timing to sign up for pet insurance? Most pet insurance providers will allow you to sign up at any time, at any age for coverage, but as we discussed briefly a moment ago, not all of them will. In my opinion, if you're going to get insurance, you should do it as soon as you possibly can. The main reason for this is that most companies won't insure your pup for any pre-existing conditions that are already noted in your pet's medical file. For example, we had a dog that had colitis as a puppy, and when we went to get him insured, they wouldn't cover anything related to stomach problems. Nothing. And he also had an ear infection, so they wouldn't cover ear infections or anything to do with the ears after that either. So the sooner you get your dog insured, the more they'll be covered for. My husband, Ron, often suggests to our clients that to get your puppy insured really young and then give it about a year. I say this with affection, but you'll often know if you've gotten yourself a doggy lemon in that time frame. My most favorite heart dog ever, Porter, was a medical lemon, and I loved him with all my heart, and I miss him dearly, so I have nothing against these sweet babies. Of course, it's impossible to to predict any future emergencies and disease based on a one-year trial, so it's definitely not a foolproof plan. (laughs) So another thing you want to be cognizant of is that once you start pet insurance, it's unlikely you're ever going to stop paying for it unless the premiums become a financial issue. When we first took out our plans, I was paying around $200 a month, and as I mentioned, we're now over $400. I get mad every time their premiums go up. I stomp around saying I'm going to cancel their plans. But then I think, well, now they're older. It might actually start being worthwhile. 
Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. I can tell you from my experience, it becomes harder and harder to give up the nerve to quit when you've already invested so much and come so far. All right, so let's say that you've looked into pet insurance and it's not something that sounds very appealing to you. Is there anything else you can do to prepare for emergencies? So what about a medical savings account? Now, as I've stood about my premiums, I've often considered if it would have been smarter had I started a savings account for my pup's medical expenses instead of just throwing away all that money that never got used in premiums. A nice thing is that if we didn't end up using it, we'd have a nice chunk of cash. That said, there are a few things to consider if you decide to go this route. Firstly, do you have the discipline not to dip into that account should you have car repairs or fancy a new TV or a trip? If not, it's probably not going to work. Secondly, do you have enough money to deposit right away should something happen tomorrow? I would think that at least $5,000 would be a good place to start, although even that could get eaten up pretty fast if something went wrong. Personally, once I put my initial deposit down, I'd use a premium calculator from one of the pet insurance websites and I'd calculate how much would be a good amount to put away each month and that's what I'd put aside. A medical savings account would not have worked for our previous dog, Porter, who is over $10,000, yikes, in vet bills between the ages of 6 and 12 months. We probably wouldn't have saved up enough money for him at that point and we would have run out of money. However, the dogs I have now, they didn't start making claims until after the age of five years old. That might have worked really well for them. I could have saved a lot of money. At our current insurance rates, I'll be paying over $25,000 for the next five years. Ugh. (laughs) Did I read that right? Ugh, that makes me sick. (laughs) Of course, that's minus the premium increases, which are soaring. And none of that's refundable. In hindsight, I probably should have used this method for my current dogs, but how would I have known that they would have been over five before they started really using their plans? It's also worth noting that pets with insurance often get a better standard of care because their treatments are covered. So even if you have a savings account with a substantial amount of money saved, it might be tempting to skip the vet visit on some occasions to hang on to your savings. Even the most pet-loving people would find it hard to resist dreaming about the many non-vet-related things they could spend those savings on. Now, if you find that you're not too disciplined with money, you could actually ask your clinic if you could start a credit with them. This would enable you only use the money for vet bills. Personally, I don't think I'd do this because I wouldn't really feel comfortable having thousands of dollars residing in someone else's business. But if you think it could work for you, It might be worth asking your clinic if it's an an option. All right. So obviously there are many things to consider when making the important decision on whether or not you want to purchase pet insurance. I hope you take your time to go through all of the information provided in this podcast and that it enables you to make the best decision for you and your pet. And oh, for those of you wondering who the receptionist at my clinic chose for their favorite insurance provider... Drum roll, please. It was True Panion. When I asked why, they said it's because they're the only ones that pay the bill on the spot in a matter of minutes. And they also offer a chat service so the clinic staff can reach out to them anytime with any questions. They also said 
This is worth noting that they are a lot more expensive than a lot of the other providers. And in case you're wondering who we use for our dogs, it's True Panion as well. So that monthly premium of over $400, that's super costly. That's the one we're talking about. I can tell you though, that they cover almost everything with the exception of exams and a few other preventatives. After our appointments, they run through our claim on the spot and I get text updates while I'm waiting. Often I get the text update before the actual receptionist gets it. So I know, oh, I know what's going on before I even leave the clinic. Once the claim is processed, I pay the difference and I'm on my way. We do pay extra for a recovery and complimentary care rider, which means that they cover our acupuncture, laser therapy, osteopathy, homeopathy, herbs, and more. And honestly, I wouldn't even bother with insurance if those things weren't covered because those, those are the services we value most. Ron and I are really into preventative care. So all of these things help contribute to the way we like to raise our dogs. And the final question, would I get insurance again if I could do it all over again? <laughs> I'm going to be super lame and really boring and give you a very anticlimactic answer to that question. I have no idea. <laughs> I do know that if I was to decide not to get pet insurance, I would be sure to have at least $5,000 put away in a savings account to start. And honestly, I might even put more if I had it. Obvious, and if you don't have it, that might answer your question right there. So as I mentioned for my second set of dogs, I didn't make very many claims at all for their first five years of life. And I that would have given me a lot of time to save. But we burned through $10,000 with my second dog, Porter, as I mentioned, between the ages of six and 12 months. And that wouldn't have given us enough time to save for his vet bills. So in reality, it's all a gamble. And ultimately, the decision is yours and yours alone. May the odds forever be in your favor. <laughs> That's it for today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Everything Pup Podcast. I'm Holly Montgomery. And until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and share with your dog-loving friends. The information in this podcast is not intended to replace veterinary care. Always consult with your veterinarian for diagnosis and treatment of your pup.